morning, conduit. Would you turn to Luke 21? Surprise, surprise, we're still in Luke, but we're getting there. We got a few more weeks to go, and then we'll then we'll have to figure out what we're gonna preach on, right? <laughs> it's a big book though, right? all right Luke 21 so we've been is this what's that is this yours awesome I thought that was like a sermon illustration I didn't know about Um, your bracelets here too All right, Luke 21. So we've been building into the idea of building up to this idea of not just Jesus' life, um, not just the disciples' life, but the the teaching, the parables, the perspective that Jesus has been offering. So today is no different. The the, the chapter, chapter 21 of Luke, it's it's a heavy one. It's a thick one. Uh, In fact, there's no way we're going to have the time um, or the perspective to kind of dissect it from an expository perspective. But what I do want to offer today, what I do want to dive into today is something that is pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. And I want to pray and I just want to ask you to pray for your own heart and your own mind, your own life. This is not a necessarily an interactive morning, but this is hopefully a um, you're never the same when you leave kind of morning. Um, I guess part of my prayer is that God would level the ground in our heart. At least he, he tries to do that through this teaching. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we just bow before you with our hearts, with our lives, and we offer it all to you. And God, sometimes life seems difficult enough. Life seems heavy enough that when we hear, read these passages uh, that are so deep, sometimes we just skip right over them. And God, your desire for us is not just some educational, deep-minded perspective. Yes, you want depth, but you're going after the heart. So God, I pray this morning that the mind would not get in the way, the flesh would not get in the way, that distraction of each person in this room and every person that ever listens to this, the distraction of their life or circumstance of the day would not get lost in this very moment. But may we have the guts to just pause in all of our busyness, in all of our lives, and we just pause and we'd hear your word, and we'd see for a moment the heart by which you spoke, the takeaway by which you call us to absolutely repent and change. God, we recognize that you are love. We recognize that you are mercy. We recognize that because of the cross, you gave us an opportunity to be forgiven. But we recognize way before that that you are holy. You are perfect, God. We, by nature, are not. So God, level the ground in our heart. Destroy the walls that we've built. Destroy the perspectives that we add to the simple gospel of faith. May we see this morning that we're unified by one faith because of one man, Jesus Christ. And our faith in Him gives us eternal life, abundant life. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. So in order to understand Luke 21, I feel as though we need to step back one step in verses uh, 43 of chapter 20. Excuse me, 45. And, the hearing, and in hearing all the people, 
He said to his, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. But these scribes, these religious leaders, it says, who devour widows, they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive a greater condemnation. Jesus looked up in response to that. A new chapter is broke. We're in a new spot, like chapter-wise, but we're in the same vein. We're in the same spot. Jesus looked up and He saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they are contributing out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. She put in all she had to live on. She put in all she had to live on. Now, you can hear the sound of coins dropping that day. Ding! Ding! It was simple. It maybe didn't even seem out of the ordinary, but for that moment, in that time, Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, gathered His like dozen of His disciples in that moment, and He says, Psst! what she's doing? Do you see what's happening? She's giving all she had to live on in the ding, ding. Now, this passage is used as a springboard for many a preacher, many a Bible teacher to talk about tithing. To talk about literally how we have this big giant bucket in the back and, and this is the moment where, see, she gave so much because she gave just all that she had, right? Like it just seems so simple. It seems so Sunday school. Like you got the flannel graph out. You got the whole thing going, like the early 90s. You got the two little coins and you're trying to teach this simple perspective of how we should give of our money. Whatever it is that we have, we should give of that. And that is not at all what Jesus is after. In fact, I, think I would argue, like certainly you can make that point, but it's like this much of what Jesus is really trying to say. You see, he sandwiches this story between two heavy perspectives. He's talking about the church as a whole. He's talking about our society as a whole. And in this moment when he's calling out this widow, yes, he's talking about her generosity. Yes, he's talking about her faith. But he's really talking about the corruption of the rest of everything. Now, it's easy. It's a, it's a lob. It's a setup for us to, I mean, like, as if we don't need to use a story like this to say, hey, tithe bigger, give more, right? I mean, I mean, we could use this moment to talk about how we're launching a church on the north side of Jamestown, right? Like, we could talk about how all the things that we want to do through I Am Loved and how this takes actual coins, how this takes actual money that we all give to the cause, to the mission, the gospel, through conduit, through the church, right? Like, this could be that moment, but that would be doing you a horrible disservice, and it would also be taking this passage of Scripture completely out of context. Completely out of context. So, so you're saying this, this, this story is not about money. That's exactly what I'm saying. This story is, is calling out a corrupt system. And Jesus is stepping in and he's wanting to take the system that ultimately God, through people, somewhat set up. But man corrupted it. 
We always get in the way, don't we? Like, I know we're calling religious leaders, and like, this is an obvious fact that every single one of us, given the opportunity, given the right uh, scenarios, we're wicked. We make some horrible, bad decisions as people, right? But Jesus is stepping in in this moment to assist them to not just address, address the financial aspect of that system, but the very heart of which that system operates. He wants to completely restructure. He, no, no. He wants to completely tear down that system and rebuild it. Now, I observed this in my life uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, it was when those, we had those few days that were like consistently 85 or higher. Like it, was, it was hot. It was sunny. Everything was brown. Everyone was miserable. Like it was in that stage. Like you either need in water or think about being in water, that kind of thing. And, and like literally, they, we called every, we were having some, some friends over that were visiting from, from California that weekend, and we were trying to find a slip and slide. Seems pretty simple, right? We called every store, and no stores had a slip and slide. We're out, we're out. Like, are you serious? Maybe they thought they wouldn't ship so many here because all it does is snow. But yet, we're trying to find one slip and, slip and slide. Until I walked in this store called Kmart, of which no one's in there. Um, but I walked in there, and I found two slip and slides. And I was so consumed with excitement that I thought, should I get both? They're only like 11 bucks. Should I get both? Should I put them together and make a long, long Should I make a rip? Like, and then I'm like, whoa, 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 calm down. All right, let's just get a slip and slide. So I bought the slip and slide. And I, I brought it out, and I put it in the yard. And I, I began to, to, to take it out of the box. And just as I was taking it out of the box, I got kids, like, all swarming me with swimsuits. They're ready to roll. Like, the hoses and out. Nothing's happening. They're like, can we go, can we go, can we go, can we go. Like, they're ready, right? And so uh, I think I got distracted or something. And so I, I walked away. And I started doing something else. And when I walked out, um, they had tried to set up the slip and slide system. Um, they tried to make it work. The only thing missing was like, apparently, um, specifically my kids weren't so much educated on how a slip and slide works. They had it going uphill. <laughs> like, they, I mean, they, they had the pegs like kind of halfway in the ground, and it was just kind of weirdly, it wasn't even a straight, it was just a simple slide. Like, you just, like, I don't know what it, the brains it takes, but yet it just seems simple to me. But they completely had it backwards, and they were sliding it kind of twisted and up. They wanted it to go in circles. Like, you have no idea. Like, gravity is how, what makes this thing work. And dish soap and water. But essentially, the system that they had set up did not work. So I stepped in, and I corrected the system. In fact, I completely abolished the system and started from scratch. Found a hill, staked it in the ground, put a hose up, voila. This is exactly what Jesus is stepping in to do. He's looking at these people, essentially trying to do everything uphill when it was meant to be based on something so simple. Faith. Trust. You see, they were building everything on the law. That was their culture. That was their understanding. Like, we work. We look the part. Even as religious leaders, we wear these long robes, and we pray these long, lavish prayers, so it appears, and we, we sit in the right seats at the right feast, just so that we look the part of the spiritual connection between man and God. And Jesus steps in. God steps in. And he says, this is how you connect to me. And he points to the widow and her two coins. Now, let me make this a little more understanding. Um, just so you understand how it kind of works. The temple is essentially the church. But back then, in Jerusalem, in this specific place, the, this one temple was the temple, was the church. It was the place where people literally connected with God. Now, there was a whole system set up that was, if, if you know much about the Old Testament, that was completely set up, not just the temple, but the temple court, the process of it, the leaders of it, and the people, to how they would come and they would offer um, a sacrifice for their sin. Now, I don't want to get too lost in the 
the geography or, or whatever of the actual temple and the temple court. But I think it's important to note that what would happen is you had a building. And it was centered around the idea that in the Holy of Holies, and I won't get into why that was necessary, the Holy of Holies, but it plays into um, how the Old Testament leads to this point where they believed that God was made manifest and resided on earth in the Holy of Holies. It was a representation of God's presence. And people were all about that. And this is the God that you and I serve, the God of the Bible. This is how it was set up for thousands of years. How we got to that point is a little complicated, but I'll give you a brief. Adam and Eve fell. They sinned. Sin entered the world. And death by sin separating us from God. And God said the only way to bring back is for blood to be shed, for death to be paid. And Jesus said, that, or excuse me, God said that I'm going to send a redeemer that will one day, a once for all sacrifice will come and that blood will be shed for all sins, for all time in that one sacrifice. But until then, we're setting up a system that shows until that one redeemer, that one Messiah comes, this this process that will happen is you will take a bull, a goat, a lamb that you raise, that you nurture, that you have without blemish, and you bring it to this place, to the temple. And you bring it on the day of atonement, the day that you can be forgiven of your sins, and you bring it in. And in this system, the priests and the religious leaders, they will slaughter the animal, blood will be shed, and for that year, for that moment, your sins will be forgiven. The atonement came upon the blood that poured out of that physical lamb. Believing in faith that someday the ultimate lamb of God would come and shed his once for all sacrifice. This is what the Jews believe. This is what they actually still believe. We believe the Messiah came and Jesus shed his blood. They're still like looking over the hill waiting for the Messiah to come. That's what makes us different. Same God, they're still waiting for the Jesus to come. Jesus came. Jesus offered. But what was happening is in this temple, they had all these different sections that were set up where you're supposed to come and register your, your animal and wait in line, and, 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 and the priests would offer this sacrifice. But ultimately, the place where you could not go, in fact, no one could go, was in the Holy of Holies. This room that was separated by a curtain they, they believed to be about four inches thick. This curtain separated man from God. Are you with me still? Church looked a little, or the temple looked a little bit different than here, right? I know you need a sticker to get your kids back. But other than that, you can go anywhere in the building. There you couldn't go in the Holy of Holies. The priest could go once a year. And this is legitimate. Once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies. And it's even believed that when that priest would go into the Holy of Holies, that they would tie a rope around his foot. Dare he pass out or die in the presence of God? Like this was the system set up. You're talking thousands of years. And people, by faith, would come. And, and here's the other thing that would happen, which still happens in the church. People would come and they would give what's called a temple tax. Or they would give an offering. And they would put it in a bucket. It actually looked more like a trumpet to them. Um, but they would give of their offering, of their sacrifice financially, for not just the temple to be built, of which was just established. Herod had started rebuilding this temple 70 B.C. So about, I don't know, 100 years before this very, that very day, the temple was being rebuilt. And so even when Jesus takes us into this story, like they're not done with the construction. It's still like there's tarps and there's things probably marking off certain areas because they're still building it up. People would give the temple tax. People would give money for the furtherance of the building. And they would give of the temple tax and they would give their money for a dispensary of food for the poor. A beautiful thing. In fact, church then, the temple then, acted more than just a place where you come worship. A church was a place where you would go to get help. 
And I dare say, that's what the church should be. And that's what the church should be redeemed to be. And that's what this church seeks to be. I mean, the temple, I know we're kind of like, we're getting to the, all right, it's about to be leveled, so to speak. But there were certain aspects that were God-ordained and God-inspired that men literally stuffed in and corrupted. So people would sacrifice and they'd give. And yes, people would be fed and people would be helped and people would be received. But man, there was a lot of corruption going on. By those scribes, by those Pharisees, by the teachers of the law, and by those priests. And it had been happening. And everyone knew it. But they leveraged the presence of God. The forgiveness of your sins. They leveraged that to get anything from you that they wanted. Specifically, Jesus calls out these religious leaders saying that they devour that widow's house. This is, that's serious. And you think widow, and you think perspective of our day, this is before before our culture has gotten maybe a, a tad better at helping the widow, a tad better at helping the orphan. But back then, they, there was no system other than the temple to be able to help them. And so when they were devouring the widow's house, they were actually put in a place where they should be helping, and they were hurting and stealing, and they were being corrupt. And this is legitimate, to the point where Jesus... One of his first public, like, in his ministry, his first public appearances, do you know what was happening? This is crazy. And, like, my son, my oldest son was asking me later, like, when I'm about to describe what happened, like, did Jesus, like, was that wrong? I'm like, no, that was called righteous anger. Because let me tell you what he did. So Jesus, um, he was seeing something happening. Is, is that people would bring in their animals to be sacrificed for the atonement, for the forgiveness of their sins. Well, what happened was, um, rather than raising their own bull, goat, lamb, without blemish, like that took some work. I mean, all I got is chickens, and that takes some work. Imagine raising these animals without blemish in a poor society, giving all they have so they could have that sacrifice every year for the atonement, to show their faith that one day God would send the ultimate atonement so their sins would be forgiven. God wanted them to raise that and bring that. But we, the church, we did this weird thing. They did this weird thing. They made it easy for people. Don't worry about raising your own bull, goat, lamb. We're good. We got a whole farm that we got to set right at the door I mean, they're without blemish. They're ready to go. I mean, flyers went out. They were emailing people. They were, they were tweeting things out. Like, just come, just show up. You don't even need to think about, like, the hard work of offering your sacrifice. Just show up, and, and people would. Like, that was part of the process. They'd show up, be like, all right, here's money. And guess what they'd do with that money? They would pocket that money at the, with the money changers, and they'd go ultimate to the leader to be spread out to the corruption, and they would get their bull or goat or lamb or whatever it is to be sacrificed and they're like hi nice to meet you thank you for dying for my sins and they would walk forward and they'd make it happen there was no there was no contrition there was no repentance there was no like sorrow over their sin there was no idea of like god is holy and i am not and there's blood that's got there's death that has to come in order for my sins to be covered no thought of that for them it was just an animal but if it was your own animal, you loved this animal, you poured everything you had, and not that they saw it necessarily as a pet, but it was significant to them. And so Jesus, one of his first appearances in public, his first thing is he walks in, and Jesus is like seeing what's happening. He's seeing all this money flying around. He's seeing all these animals like pinned up, ready to be sacrificed. And he gets angry. Jesus makes a scene. He, like, he didn't react. Like, he took his time. He went, and he made a whip. And he came in, yelling, flipping the tables, money flying, animals let go. Like, and this is not a PETA moment. This was a, 
you are reckoning against the heart of God. You're warring against what God is after. He's after your heart. And your heart is not connected to any of this. And you religious leaders, you talk about, man, like if Jesus is after anybody, he's after the religious leaders. How corrupt are you? He kicks them all out of the temple. He cannot believe, he can't believe the corruption that's happening. Because the heart is disconnected. People's sin is not being thought through, is not being confessed, is not by faith placed on an altar. It's become easy for them. And Jesus became angry because of that, a righteous anger. He didn't sin. He says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. This is supposed to be a house where you can come and connect with God, where you can, can come and experience God's love, God's forgiveness, and place your faith in what's happening through those animals. Like, and it seems so foreign and hard for us to understand Like in, in our day and age because we're so civilized and politically correct. I understand that. But for them, they understood and they knew exactly what was happening. The only people that were upset about Jesus doing that that day and throwing the temple or the, throwing the tables over, if you think about it, the only people that were upset were the religious leaders. You know what I think every parishioner thought that day? Oh my goodness, he's right. And then that made the religious leaders even more the upset to the point where they wanted to kill him. To the point that they did murder our Jesus. This is the basis of that. See, Jesus came to restore all of that. And so Jesus, in this moment, is calling out the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He's saying that you're stealing from the poor in order to become more rich. How corrupt is that? And so, like, I don't want to go past just the, the moment of, I don't want to just skip over what her sacrifice was. I'm going to get to it in a moment. But ultimately, the big picture here is Jesus is going after the church and its leaders. To the point, if you, if you, go, back, if you go past verse 4 of chapter 21, in that section, it says, Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple. Jesus foretells the fact that this temple is going to be destroyed. I'm done with it. Everything about it will be destroyed. And yes, he's angry about the actual, but he's also talking about the bigger. To the point where Jesus, you go a couple more chapters, Jesus, in one of his, right before his last breath, it says that literally, and you can look this up historically, even outside of the Bible, you look at first century Jewish historians, and this actually happened. That four-inch thick veil that separated God and the Holy of Holies, what was representing God in the Holy of Holies and His presence and represented the rest of man, that completely ripped in half. Are you kidding me? Supernatural like comes to the natural and breaks open separation from man to God. And I don't think anybody got it at the moment. Because in that day, Jesus on a cross wasn't as significant like as we see it as significant. For those Roman soldiers and for that city of Jerusalem, that was just another day in the office. That was just another man that died. It wasn't until Jesus had died and even rose again that huge deal that the whole world would be brought to their knees and by faith it could be with a holy God because of what just took place but in that moment you have no did you imagine being there like in the temple that day I'd love to see the look on those religious leaders face as they felt like victory had taken place that they had murdered this guy that they thought was a heretic, but all it was was Jesus was trying to bring truth to the church and rescue and level everything for the actual presence of God because sometimes the presence of God isn't what we think it is because we can be so wicked in our thoughts. So when that veil was torn and Jesus takes, I'm sorry, that's scared. I get a little intense, sorry. <laughs> That veil was torn. And we can be 
a child of God, the holy of holies. Jesus essentially is saying, come on, I'll receive you. You trust in me, you have eternal life. By this, you have the power to be called a child of God. You have the right to be called a child of God. Not that we need to advocate for, but that literally God, I don't know if it was an angel, I don't know what it was, but literally that four inch thick curtain ripped in half. And the immediate thought of those leaders were like, oh shoot, now we got to build another curtain. Of which Jesus is like, I told y'all so, and now it is finished. And he takes his last breath, knowing that now, metaphorically, literally, spiritually, physically, amazingly, we can be with God. And he says it is finished. He takes his last breath. But if you remember, Jesus did this crazy thing. He tells these religious leaders, and for everybody, it goes on to the end of the chapter, and it says that day after day, Jesus would go sleep or rest at, at, at Olivet, and then he'd come back to the temple. And it says people were starting to gather and hear him teach. <laughs> like We're hearing like the religious leader's perspective, but I think absolutely there was a remnant of revival happening because this was not just like a cricket moment. I believe that place was packed because they were hearing the truth and they were believing by faith that, was a, that, that what was about to take place was about to change everything. That what was about to seem insignificant was absolutely significant. So when Jesus says, that woman that has those two coins, that is everything. Not just two coins. You see, I want to put a spotlight for a moment on this widow because I don't want to miss the, the, the point and what was in her mind. Think about it from her perspective. Like on one hand, she's being duped. She has no idea the corruption that's taking place. Is she a fool? No. Is a man or woman a fool who puts their whole life in the faith of the system that God has set up. They're not a fool. In fact, people ask, hey, how, does, how does some, okay, if, if we believe by faith that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and I believe that he forgave me of my sins, like, that gives me eternal life. Well, what happened about, the, what about the people that, that died before Jesus even came or was born? What happened to those people? The same thing? They had to believe, like we believe, like as crazy as it thinks, as we think, like we, we know what happened. Like literally we have this writing and God's word, it's inspired and errant, and we believe it's true, but we're still looking back something that happened 2,000 years ago. Okay? But they're looking, they were looking at something that was yet to come. In the same faith that we look back was the same faith that had, they had to look forward. That, that this bull, they, we got to spare some, we're running out of bulls and goats. We're running out of lamb, and we're running out of sheep. We're like, we, we're like save the animals. Send Jesus. Come on. Like, like, this is, something's got to change. And so for her, those two coins meant everything. She, by full faith, was representing something that she believed in. Even though you and I can look at it now and say, you know what, that's, it's like super corrupt. Like, man, somebody needs to tell that lady. No. Jesus didn't run up and be like, guys, hang on. She just put two coins. I got to get her money back. And he didn't like run or like some deuce, like, like some like force supernatural thing to get her coins back. He simply was pointing out that she, by faith, believed in the system. Now, the system for that moment was that someday there was a redeemer that was going to come. And until then, I'm giving the money so that this place can thrive, so that people can have a place to come and receive forgiveness of sins. It's no different. 
It's no different. It's the leaders that have messed it up. It's us as people that get in the way and we mess up that system. But she, in full faith, gave everything she had. For you and I, it's no different. At least it shouldn't be any different. Jesus is not saying, oh, you have $1,600 in your bank account. That's all you got. And it just got there Friday, right? Jesus is not saying, I am certainly not saying, go cash it out, put it in the bucket. He wants it. He's asking for something far more valuable than that. On top of that. With that. He's asking for something more valuable than that. Jesus doesn't... It's not that he doesn't want the two coins. He wants your faith. He wants your trust. He wants your belief in the system that he has set up that by this sacrifice, you can be forgiven. You can have relationship with Jesus. You can know God on an intimate level, a daily, personal, passionate relationship with the King of kings, the Lord of lords through his word, and through his Holy Spirit that resides in us and gives us absolute power, understanding, and to be able to interpret not just life and the struggles that we face and the plans he has for us, but the literal understanding of what's really happening in our culture. We cannot look at our country. We cannot look at our culture and panic as if, like, I know it's bad. Believe me. God is on the throne. And he's not. He is not sending a political leader to fix it. He is not sending a military force to make it perfect. He is not sending a financial bailout to make it happen. He is, surprise, surprise, he is not sending or making a perfect church to make all the wrongs are right. But yet, he is using political leaders and leaders in our life, from mom and dad to president and king and whatever. He's making those leaders. He's making that money. He's making those systems conform us to trust him and not those things. That's why the Jews missed Jesus. They were looking for like the next political leader to make everything right. And they're still looking for him. They're looking for like this tough guy warrior to come in and be like, y'all don't mess with Israel. And like they were looking for that and they missed it. And the gentle love and compassion of the Savior. They were looking for someone that was coming in to take charge and say, I am here to conquer. And Jesus says, I am here to serve. But make no mistake about it. Jesus is leveling the temple. Jesus had the guts to say, I'm going to destroy this temple and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. Oh, man. Woo. So like three days after Jesus died, we all know what happened. He rose from the dead. What does this mean? Like did Jesus build the temple during the three days and then like pow, it's back on. Like, whoa, what happened to the temple overnight? It looks great. Not at all. Jesus' work meant that there's a different temple there's a different place. And I was reading just through five passages this morning, specifically in the New Testament. Most of them in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, where it says the new temple for God is not the Holy of Holies. It's not some place in Jerusalem. That temple has been destroyed. In fact, about 40 years after Jesus' death, the Romans came in and literally destroyed the temple. And all the religious people are like, oh my goodness. And Jesus is like, boom, I told y'all. Like, he'd ripped a curtain, but like, they, Romans came in and did what they need to do. Why? So that you would understand that the temple is you. It's me. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the, the, the residing place of the Spirit of Christ that by faith, belief in Him, we receive. This changes everything. So why did Jesus call out this woman and her two copper coins? 
Why didn't he call out the amazing builders in this group of people that built this place? These leaders that led this place? No, he like went down to the lowest. Went down to the person that had nothing and gave everything. And that was a sign. That was a symbol of faith. Never underestimate the significance of your actions, of your life, of your giving, of your sacrifice, of your time. Like I know I'm spending a lot of time this morning talking about um, the temple and Jewish culture and all that, because I think this is one of those passages that we have to understand, you know, and Jesus talks about wars and persecution and his second coming. And like, I don't want to miss the point. Jesus, like, this is like, Re- Pastor Ben says, this is like the book of Revelation put in one chapter. But Jesus is making it as simple as this woman that gave her everything two coins. It's all she had. What is your two coins? Again, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about you. In fact, sometimes, can I just say, our pocketbook or our money or the things that we do give, our time to the church, whatever it may be, may honestly be a distraction for that part of your heart that isn't given to God. And if you're partly not given to God, you're not given to God. You're not fully surrendered to God. That was my life story up until 19, where I understood for a moment that withholding anything is not true surrender. God wants your all. As broken, as down, as discouraged, as broke, as messed up as you think you are, God wants it all. In fact, he'll take whatever you think is nothing and he'll make it everything. This woman had no idea until she got to glory what those two coins meant everything. The entire gospel wrapped up in this lady's offering who had nothing showing us that giving God everything, give Him what you have, which is your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Love your neighbor. Love your city. Give what you got. Give everything. Surrender it all to Him. And I have this feeling that there are people in this room, they're like, all right, I'm connected with what you're saying. Like, I'm all in, but like, You're, you're waiting for that right hook. Like you're, you're waiting for... You're waiting for the invitation. I don't, I don't need to be dramatic with this. You know whether you're surrendered to God Almighty or not. You know whether you've given Him what you got or not we got to stop playing games. Stop trying to make it good, make it pretty, paste it, glue it all together so that you can come and feel like you're offering your two coins. He doesn't want your coins. He wants you. And some of you moms need to hear this. That, you're signif- that you think is insignificant with your kids is absolutely significant. This family that stood up here is a great example. Like those moments of like the 50th diaper change of the day, the 50th like crazy mess that they had to clean up builds into something more beautiful, creating the path where their kids can feel love and their kids can experience the love of Christ through their mom and dad. Specifically you moms and specifically you men, you dads that are in a place that are so discouraged, just like running the hamster mill, thinking this leads to nowhere and you feel like this is so, my life is so insignificant. It's not. 
If God can take two coins from some widow the first century in Jerusalem, Israel, then he can take your entire life of purpose. That your every day, your every moment is absolutely significant. Maybe Jesus didn't use you in, the Luke, in, in Luke chapter 21, but he's still taking your life and he's using it as a display, as an open word to everybody around you, everybody that you're with, everybody that's in your home, everyone that's in your church, everyone that's in your community. Nothing is insignificant. Everything is significant. Don't belittle what you've done. God's using that. Be encouraged. Don't be discouraged. What Satan wants is he wants you to feel like nothing I do matters. No one sees me. God sees you. Jesus sees you and he's calling you out. In this moment, he's like, stop trying to perform. Stop trying to keep it all together. Surrender. And when you surrender, yeah, it may look like two coins. You may not have a whole lot to offer, but I'm actually arguing, as Jesus is saying, that those two coins are far better than the riches of all what everybody could put together. Those two coins, your life, your moments, your days, your offering to your kids, your offering to your wife and how you serve her and how you love her as Christ loved the church and how you serve your company in that factory and no one sees you and the boss doesn't see you and your paycheck doesn't reveal how hard you work and all that you're driving and all your kids running around all these things that you're doing and what you're doing for this place and what you're doing for this community and what you've done for I Am Love and what you've done for Conduit North and what you've done for Conduit. All these things that you've done, nobody sees, God sees it. It's not insignificant. It's significant. And he wants to encourage you in that. It doesn't matter what everybody else sees, what the boss sees or your wife sees or anybody else, Jesus sees it. And he wants to say right here in this moment that you and what you have to offer Is the sacrifice that leads to faith. I was reading this morning, and this uh, passage, I didn't have a ton of clarity on it, and then it hit me like a ton of bricks. So let me just say this as we close. Jesus, Jesus is the widow's offering and sacrifice to the temple. And you are the temple of which he is sacrificed for. Please hear me. Please hear me. Jesus is the widow's coins. Jesus is the widow's sacrifice for the temple. And you are the temple of which the gift was given for. This isn't about money. This isn't about the corruption of the church or the temple. This is about you. Jesus was the sacrifice. The disciples didn't even get it. Jesus wasn't necessarily just calling out this woman and calling out the church. He was saying, he is the two coins. It was offered. And it seems insignificant in that day, in that moment. But it's eternally significant. Man, this church, this moment was made for you to be forgiven of your sins to be reconciled with God through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he was given for you're the temple he's building you're the temple he's built the real temples have been destroyed the new temple has been built through Jesus Christ in your heart and your life. Here's what I know. And if you're here for the first time or you've been here many times, if you're not fully surrendered, if you've not fully given of your life by faith, the only way to come, by faith, to Jesus, can right now be that moment 
mom, dad, ma'am, sir, like, I just want to end in a quiet moment of you praying in your seat. If you need to to pray or you need someone to pray with, then truly come up, see us after. But I'm going to invite you to stay right where you're at. I want you to simply bow your heads. When you close your eyes, Jesus gave all he have, he had, excuse me, for you. So you could be built, so that you could be beautiful, so that you could be the place that the Spirit of Christ lives. And if you say, I've never, I didn't know that. I've, I've never, like, I've never decided to do that. I've heard about it, but I've never really decided to do that. I want to invite you in this moment to receive a gift, this gift of Jesus Christ. It's a journey. It's a lifelong faith-given journey, putting your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. It's not an easy road, but it's a glorious road that leads to eternal life. And it begins a lot of times with a moment like this. It's happened for many of us, but maybe for you it needs to happen right now. Would you just, if you want to pray that, would you just simply start by saying, God, destroy my temple. Bury me in the ground that I would rise to new life through Jesus Christ. God, I know you sacrificed for me. God, I know you paid the price on the cross. I know you rose from the dead. And just as you died, I die. And just as you rose, I rise to new life today right now God ask your Holy Spirit to reside in my temple in my body in my life Holy Spirit move in my life move in my circumstance move in my family 